T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. In 1919, he hit 29 home runs and was sold to the New York Yankees. and A-Rod going at it. Roberts is going. Masada's throw. Roberts, safe. And what can I say? Just dip my hat and, and call the Yankees my daddy. Welcome to Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports, episode 104. John Senecal here, Brian Shackman, and we, are, of course, were really lucky and, and excited to talk to Evan Drellick and the book, Winning Fixes Everything, how baseball's brightest minds created sports' biggest mess. Uh, Evan, first of all, hey, congratu- congratulations on the book. And then, like, what? Who makes the decision on the title? And like, how much do you fodder that? I mean, like, do you get input? Do you have final say? Like, how does that work? Good question. Nobody's actually asked me that yet. Um, you know, I, I don't know about final say. I gotta believe at the end of the day. The, the author retained some control over it. Um, it. It was a title I came up with, and there's a quote. It's actually, I think, the only quote that appears twice in the book. It's in the introduction, uh, and then later, kind of when we get to the point in time when the quote was delivered to me, but um, you know, Jeff Luno saying, the Astros GM saying, it, uh, perception will change when we succeed. But, you know, what did everybody think about the Moneyball A's? Um, you know, and then they're heroes. Right. Um, and, and actually – it wasn't an influence for the title of the book, but I, I, I have an old G chat, you know, the Google chat uh, conversation with a, with a different Astros executive, and they said the same thing, right? And it's kind of a sports cliche. So, you know, the, the I did have to do a little convincing with the title. Um, the editor, uh, who did a great job, guy named Eric Nelson, uh, wasn't sure that people were going to quite get it, uh, you know, that they were going to take it directly. You know, it, it's a wink and a nod. Yeah. Does winning fix everything? I, I, you know, I want people to consider that question as they go through it. So at one point, he wanted the title to be in quote marks, and I, I said, no, let's trust our readers to yeah. uh, to be smart, figure that out. Yeah yeah, 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 exactly. You know, I the book is way more. And I heard in one of the podcasts you talked about that you had to cut thirty thousand words out of it, but it's way more than just you know, the cheating scandal itself, but obviously that, that makes a lot of the headlines and what people want to, to know about. And, and from our perspective, you know, what I want, I do want to start with 2017, knowing that you were there like back in 2013 and 2014 in Houston, you went Boston to Houston, back to Boston and now in New York with the athletic, but based on the degree of cheating that the Astros did 
And based on what I know you report in the book about Boston, New York, and and the Dodgers, three teams that the Astros beat in 2017 in the playoffs, how aggrieved should fans of Boston, New York, and L.A. be by what they now know about what Houston did in 2017? Yeah, so the first question people kind of have to ask for them, answer for themselves is, is any form of cheating equivalent? Uh, or do you take a stance and – uh, Faye Vincent, the former commissioner, this is something I, I think he believes, or at least is what he says publicly, is that you know a little cheating is just as bad as a lot of cheating. Um, that's not m- my opinion. I, I think it's not generally people's opinion. Well, because cheating is a huge part of the culture of baseball. I mean, that's been going back 150 years, right? It's sewn into the fabric. I mean, when right. you think about that, it. Yes, yes. Everybody's trying to get an edge. I mean, look, you know, you can you compare it kind of uh, inaccurately, but you can try to compare it to speeding violations. Um, you know, what the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Astros on the road uh, were doing, and the Dodgers, the book, the book has reporting on the Dodgers as well, was a base runner system, which is, you know, video room to dugout to second base. So a guy gets to second base, he knows what the code is, right? He, know, he knows what the catcher's throwing down. Um, you know, that's, it's imprecise. You could call that, 90 in a 65 you can call they you know you, you can put whatever number you want on it what the astros were doing in the opinions of the most uh and including in mine was you know 120 in the 60 110 130 whatever number you want to put on it but it was uh, clearly different than the other teams i i do think there's an argument to be made that people look at the other behaviors too lightly you know it was still cheating using electronics it was still an advantage it, you did need a runner on base to execute it um, you know, so it wasn't on every pitch, but I, so it, it's up for discussion in a way. But I, but I think the general standard is, yeah, the Astros were more brazen, more egregious than everybody else. And Evan, when you when you look at the Yankees and the Red Sox in that season, and the Dodgers too, is it you know is it more of like you know the rich rich get richer kind of thing? You know, the only the haves can can execute this way and then they're looking at the Astros who were kind of and you think about it in baseball lore the have-nots and they're almost you know ahead of the 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 rich guys and they're and they're kind of almost playing catch-up to the Astros at this point in 2017 2018 2019 and you know and and the whispers are there that this is all going on yet I feel like in a way that the Yankees the Red Sox and the Dodgers just can't get to the level of I want to I it's bad to say, but the level of cheating that the Astros were doing, because as much as you say, as much as anyone can say that in 2017, you know, they were cheating. I still think the Astros were doing in 18 and 19 until, you know, you guys blew the lid off the thing. I mean, I don't think it was just exclusive. to. You're saying, John, before you respond, Evan, that you think if if given the opportunity, the Red Sox, Dodgers, and Yankees would have cheated as Absolutely. much as they did? Absolutely. I think so. Do you Absolutely. think, Evan, do you find... Because the, the the book talks about how just... We got some personalities in that Houston front office who are... Well, uh, they're that, not quite and, that, and that's what I was going to say. I think, I think it, it does come down to, at some point, there has to be some morals and some and some love you know, of the, the game involved into really? it. But there wasn't in Houston, obviously, right? Because basically Crane gave Lunau a blank piece of paper to just work with and just do whatever you want. And he took it absolutely, I guess, too far. But I guess I, I won't say that the Yankees and the Red Sox might not have went that far, but I feel like there was probably some discontent there that this little team is kind of whooping our butts. They're, they're just, they're, they're further ahead of us and they're beating us at our own game. What do you think of that, Evan? Well, okay. So, so the, the point about money is, I think an indirect 
point, which is that this behavior, the, the, the base runner system, as far as we know, really the Yankees were ground zero. And it goes from the Yankees to the Red Sox. Chris Young, the outfielder, goes over, goes to the Red Sox, says, you guys aren't doing this. You know, we had all your signs. What are you doing? And that is how things generally spread. So the money plays in in the sense that this was more veteran experienced teams. Um, you know, I, people like to say, well, everybody was doing it. There's no evidence that everybody was doing it. There's evidence that veteran contending teams were doing it. How many exactly? Nobody really knows. Um, but, I, you know, I do not – I am not a believer that it was league-wide because the evidence doesn't suggest um, that it was league-wide. You know, I, I hesitate to share this, but I, but I want to give him a little credit. I was talking to Andy McCullough yesterday, who's you know, a great uh, colleague of mine, another national writer at The Athletic. Um, you know, he said he was talking to some people – and the, the analogy they offered was that the Astros broke the Geneva con- Convention here. You know, the, the, the way other teams looked at what the Astros was, were doing um, w- was just intellectually a step beyond, you know, to, to remove the runner, to be able to communicate directly on any pitch. Um, they looked at as, as a step beyond there. Um, you know, did that mean that the Red Sox and the Yankees and these other teams were necessarily more moral and just, you know, just thought about doing this and then didn't do it? I don't know. It, you know, my instinct would be that um, the Astros and, and player culture in general is always to find an edge. And in this case, the Astros had the gumption to take it a step further. Does that mean no other team really sat there and thought about doing it? I don't know. Um, we don't have any evidence of any other team doing something similar to what the Astros are doing, right? Like through all of this, through everybody going, oh, everybody was doing it. Well, the Astros still stand alone, right? As far as firm reporting, firsthand accounts, you know, it, one of the things that, that the book points out, and, and I think is important for people to understand when you have somebody standing like Joey Votto, for example, great guy, everybody loves him. I'm, I'm not questioning you know, his character or his judgment. But, but he's one of many people who said, well, you know, everybody was doing something. And that's a, it's kind of a, a, like a, a, an antidote for Astros fans. They love hearing right. that. They, they, um, but at some point, you need evidence, right? And, and the thing that separated the reporting Ken Rosenthal and I did um, about both the Astros and the Red Sox and, and also the reporting on the Dodgers in the book is firsthand. It is coming from inside. It's people saying, hey, we did this. Um, so I, I don't know if that effectively answered your question, but I, you know, I, I don't think it was necessarily, I don't know. I don't know if, if the Red Sox or the Yankees and the Dodgers all sat there and thought we could do the exact same thing, but we're more moral. We're not going to do it. Might've just been the Astros came to the idea first. Well, this is an interesting segue into 2018 and the Red Sox. We're talking with Evan Drellick, winning fixes, everything, how baseball's brightest minds created sports, biggest mess, uh, the number one baseball book right now on amazon.com. And, so you you take Cora, you bring him to Boston, and you know, 2018 they win the World Series, and then Cora ends up getting suspended for a year or what have you. What about 2018? I don't know. I personally I don't know much about what they were doing, and was what the Red Sox were doing on their march to the World Series was it? If if the Astros in 2017 broke the Geneva Convention and did war crimes. Where, where, and, Cora, where, and Cora defected to the uh, north. Right. What, what, what are we talking about here? Yeah, so, the, so partly what, what starts to matter, by the time you get to 18, 
you know, MLB has already fined the Red Sox for the Apple Watch scandal, even though it wasn't actually an Apple Watch. I believe it was a Fitbit, but it was, it was a smart device of another maker. Uh, and they find the Yankees, right? And, and th- those punishments in 17 for both the Red Sox and Yankees were way too light. Manfred was trying to draw a land- line in the sand. He didn't, obviously, because the Astros kept cheating. Um, but, you know, so ch- anything post-September 17 is looked at as um, uh, inherently a little bit more brazen, right? Because, because now the commissioner's office has finally started to pay attention uh, to what's going on here. And the Red Sox had, had obviously been – they were the first team punished along with the Yankees. So core gets there and, and what the Red Sox do in 18 uh, is, is a base runner system. It, it's uh, dugout, it's video room to dugout to runner. And, and one of the interesting things about the Red Sox is that they more or less, they had two stations, essentially there, there's their main video room, but there's also an auxiliary station. 18 MLB starts to kind of loosely patrol during the regular season. They'd have like a, I forget what they're calling these people now, some sort of in-game monitor, right? You know, a person, security guy walking around. Well, these people are, are local hires, and half the time they're Red Sox fans anyway. Um, and, and, you know, as Red Sox person told me, like, you know, we could still get the signs out. Um, so it, it, it was not – I have no reporting that what the Astros – what the Red Sox are doing in 18 – was on the level of what the Astros were doing the year before when, when Cora was there. In a way, it's smarter what the, what the Red Sox are doing in 18. It's, it's quieter. You know, it's lit, literally. You're not banging on a garbage can, and, and uh, so it's a little harder to detect. Um, but, it, you know, it, it is after the commissioner has come out with his, his uh, statement. And, uh, look, the Red Sox had a clearly very talented team that year, but you know, you hear Alex Cora, you know, you often say, I take responsibility for 17. He never addresses 18. And, and the thing that sticks out to me about 18, it, it is always the case that when MLB punishes, there's going to be people who, who take the brunt of the punishment. Um, JT Watkins, the video operator in, in Boston, the main video operator, is, is painted as a rogue employee here. The reporting for the book shows um, that – Red Sox players felt they needed to take care of him because of what the, what he did to them. Meaning they paid him. He was on an unpaid suspension. Red Sox players, um, corner Red Sox sources I talked to, uh, decided to pay the guy. Right, and so this notion that Ollie uh, North, right? He's the Ollie North. Colonel, wasn't that yeah. Ollie, Colonel Ollie North that took the fall for the contra? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to brush up on my history. No, but, no, but, it's from yeah. the, 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 yeah, that was in the Reagan era. So Evan yeah. might be a little young for but, that. But that makes, that, that raises a good point, though, because you're talking about two different cultures here of, of baseball. You're talking about the Jim Crane culture in, in Houston, and you're talking about a culture in Boston where they're condoning the fact that this guy's just basically a patsy and we're going to pay him off. So you're taking the fall for probably Sam Kennedy or someone who's at the higher level that knew this was going on. Yeah, I, I mean, this is, this is kind of my point about the Red Sox. I, I think when you look at Red Sox leadership and the willing, even if you go back to the Apple Watch scandal, who took who was the guy who, who took the blame? Pedroia got a little bit, but it was John Jokum, if I'm saying his last name right, the trainer, right? Oh, you know, the trainer was using the, the, the watch. The scheme was obviously beyond just just the the trainer who was who was the relay guy right. here, right? So MLB likes to peg you know, you, you, the the interest of the commissioner's office is to make things go away. MLB's findings with the Red Sox investigation, um, there, there are kind of logical differences between the precedent that MLB set with the Astros. 
Uh, and, I, and I think just from a, you know, MLB aside, from a Red Sox perspective, is that good leadership? Is that good leadership on behalf of Alex Gore, Sam Kennedy, John Henry, go down the list, whoever you want to name, right. to, to uh, just say, no, you know, it's this rogue video operator. And Watkins always denied that he did any wrongdoing uh, to MLB. But, you know, one of the other interesting things the, books, the book has is that uh, somehow uh, Watkins learns uh, who spoke to MLB, who inside the Red Sox clubhouse confirmed exactly what Ken Rosenthal and I reported. Uh, and that creates problems in the clubhouse yeah. that, that Watkins uh, literally confronts people about it. Um, but yeah, look, the Red Sox in 18 were cheating. Uh, I, I think by most standards, it was not as egregious as what the Astros were doing, but they were cheating. You know, it, it's, it's so fascinating because, you know, the, the whole culture of it, is is really interesting to talk about, and I want to get into the Astros in their front office. But you know, I, I give you a lot of credit because this isn't this isn't like Moneyball, which was sort of you know Lewis bringing to attention something that was happening and and, and people knew about it. And it was like for you to go against the grain, like nobody in baseball wanted you to do this. You and Ken to to break this story, right? And and so you it takes a fair amount of courage. And as someone who's been in journalism. My, a lot of my life investigative journalism isn't my thing because I don't think I have the backbone for it. Right. And so, um, kudos to that. But the, the follow-up question I want to that conversation is where are we in then 2023, you know, uh, obviously sophistication, the criminals are always ahead of the government, right? So do we think that I mean, cheating still exists obviously, but do, do we have any sense? Do you have any sense of, of where we're at with this, this sort of baseball culture now? Yeah, you know, real quick on, on the Moneyball point. I mean, this book is, is in a way, the outgrowth of Moneyball. It explains what Moneyball brought into the sport and, frankly, what Moneyball didn't really explain. You know, the, the, um, and not that it necessarily should have, but it, it's paying attention to all the other things that came from Moneyball, came along with Moneyball, that I think for a long time people were ignoring, right? You know, even things as kind of fundamental as um, – the cost of players and, and the impact that has on labor, right? We just had a lockout uh, and you can draw that lockout back to how clubs started to behave post Moneyball. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, the threads of what went on in Houston really uh, extend very far. And to the question about now, you know, MLB put in, it's actually interesting right away after the scandal, they banned, um, if I'm remembering this right, they fully banned video access in the clubhouse, uh, right. like during the game. Like you couldn't go in and watch, um, you know, a, a game in the clubhouse. And then they returned it inside the same season on delay, and a long, I guess a long enough delay that they felt comfortable because it was it. ruining now, JD Martinez's career. <laughs> right, players weren't happy, and the league very quickly reversed course on it and didn't. Uh, you know, it was not something they announced publicly. I, I only found out about it uh, after the fact and did report on it, but. Look, players are always going to want to find an edge. There are always the attempts to cheat, always. Uh, whether we ever find out about them, I, I don't know. Um, you know, people wonder about uh, PitchCom. Could, you know, the, the, the new risk system that catchers have the signal, could somebody hack into that? Well, if you bring in the automated strike zone, could people hack into that? It, it might have to get more sophisticated and more clandestine and therefore might, might be more unlikely that we would ever find out about it, but kind of like the injury of all this is that, you know, you have reason to sit there and go, oh, I wonder what's going on there. Something up, you know, it, 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 
um, it, it causes you to question and wonder what people are capable of. Um, and, and maybe we should have always been thinking that way. Certainly the commissioner's office should have been thinking that way post PEDs uh, when they decided to give everybody a video room, but they weren't. And, um, you know, I, I do think the commissioner's office now is, uh, is a little more honed in on uh, trying to prevent this stuff, but, but rule breakers will all be always be ahead of rule makers. Evan, you mentioned, you know, the commissioner's office there about, you know, mentioned it twice, you know, the way I look at, you know, the commissioner's office in baseball, you know, at least in the last 20 years, I look at it like you kind of don't act like anything's happening until it comes out. And then you sit there and you play dumb and then you kind of think of what you can do to fix it afterwards. Now, we, you know, you talked about the PEDs, you know, they let that uh, skate as long as they could. But then going to the, the cheating scandal, um, once that comes out and, you know, as a fan and everybody's looking for blood, right, they want they want the players to be held accountable because they they're they're the forefront. And what you get in the rebound is you get a general manager, you get a manager and you get a coach and you get Carlos Baltron who loses his job. Right now, that's not sexy to the fan, but that's what Major League Baseball decided to do. Can you explain why the players weren't disciplined in all this? Is it something that you know Major League Baseball was looking at the collective bargaining coming forward, or was it just that they didn't want another black eye on the sport? Yeah, so there's kind of two parts to this. I'll take the more general part first, which is this. When you have a team-wide cheating scandal, uh, it's tricky. How do you assign culpability? Is it the people who kind of started it? Is it the people who participated? Is it the people who didn't participate um, but also enjoyed it, enjoyed the results of it and didn't stop it, right? It, it, it is a tricky thing to try to assign a number of games to. That said, you know, it, it is doable in a theoretical sense. The problem was really one of foresight. So Manfred in 17, when he punishes the Red Sox and Yankees, uh, he says, you know, going forward, I'm going to punish the, uh, the, the GM and the manager are going to be held accountable and it, and actually doubles down on that in, in subsequent. So they start updating the rules a little bit more in 18, a little bit more in 19. Um, but that same message is in there in, in labor relations. You know, when you have a union and you have a management group, you know, there's a collective bargaining agreement, which is the case in baseball. If management just decides on a whim, you know what, I'm going to punish this behavior uh, and I'm going to assign X games or whatever, X punishment to it, uh, you know, unions have the ability to, to challenge that. It, it, the, the idea of doing it on a whim is something that unions prevent. You know, you, you have to give notice of uh, what you intend to discipline and, and how you intend to discipline. And the notice Manfred had given was, was actually that we're going to hold the GM and the manager accountable, not the players. There's one of those memos he actually specifically says um, something to the effect of not the players. So if Manfred tries, once our story comes out, if Manfred tries to, to punish the players, the union's going to have very strong grounds to either get the punishments reduced or get them totally vacated. And, you know, Manfred could have taken that approach. He could have decided, well, I'm going to do that anyway, and then I'll paint the union as, as a bad guy. But, you know, you get your punishments overturned or reduced, you look pretty uh, ineffective there. So where was the mistake? The mistake was not really once we get to the point that our story comes out. The mistake was, was Manfred in the prior years not having the foresight about two things. One, that this was uh, – he hadn't killed the problem. You know, he thinks he punishes the Red Sox and the Yankees and 
He draws the line in the sand, and, you know, people are going to respect the commissioner. They didn't, right? Astros kept cheating. Red Sox did in 18. He did not effectively uh, draw the line in the sand. And so he doesn't think this behavior is going to blow back up, and he also doesn't consider, well, what if it does blow back up and I don't punish the players? How would that look? Because if he had thought about that, uh, then he would have moved earlier to, right. you know, get notice, have discussions with the players' union. Hey, if this happens, I'm punishing it like this, and, and they would have either negotiated. Um, you know, I don't know the answer to, like, well, what if he just sent a memo in 17 to the union, the union didn't, didn't agree to it. it. It becomes a technical labor law question. Right. But it underlies the whole thing, right? So, so really the answer is Manfred didn't see this coming, didn't take the steps necessary in advance to be able to punish the players effectively. You know, we're a little tight on time. We have a, a couple more things we want to throw at Evan Drellick. Uh, I can stay a little longer. Up to you guys. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's a great conversation, and we appreciate the time. The book is Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess, and it really that's referencing, you know, the Houston Astros. And for me, like, I'm, gonna, I'm a 51-year-old male, and I worked in sports for a number of years, too, and the egos and the machismo is – in sports and pro sports is in some ways out of control in baseball. It's actually maybe even more intense than any other sport for some strange reason. And so when I think about baseball in the modern, in modern baseball, I think of, okay, there's alpha males on the field. They've been always that way. There's also alpha males in the front office and in ownership. And what I see now is that you have this hierarchy where there's, there's not just a GM and an owner. There's a director of baseball operations and a GM and a couple of assistant GMs. And I'm just wondering, like in this male, macho, alpha culture, if there are just simply too many cooks in the kitchen and it just makes it inherently messy. Um, you know, I think, I think you're raising an interesting point about uh, it being a male and uh, machismo culture. And, and, and I would say indirectly that plays into where I would take it, which is um, – you know, Moneyball opens the floodgates to people who are on the outside, right? Jeff Luno is one of them. His right-hand man, Sigma. You know, all these front office people are kind of newly valued right. in the sport. And, you know, Moneyball is this massive hit of a book. Uh, you know, Brad Pitt pay, plays You could argue Ian. that Theo Epstein really catapulted that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. So people, you know, there was a new glory attached to being a baseball disruptor. And in general, you know, in, in the last 20 years, right, you see so much fawning over disruption. So there was this really big carrot that was dangled for people of, you know, I, I want to change the game. I want to take the glory. And, and look, there was grounds for the game to be changed. There was room for innovation. Uh, but, but there's a lot of ego that gets uh, involved there, right? You know, Jeff Luna was very good about seeking the limelight and uh, kind of finding uh, people who would, you know, print what he wanted. Um, and, and so I, I do think there, there is an element of the, the construction of front offices and the people who entered into them, um, you know, look, having self-interested motivations uh, and, and, and money ball and this, this notion that you can be glorified in this way, I, 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 I think that, that is an overlay for the whole thing. It almost seems that like once Jim Crane took over the Astros, it was almost like they they squeezed every little ounce of baseball people out of that organization. I mean, was it Brad Mills and Bo Porter, those former former baseball guys, and 
and they were they were basically gone. And now Dusty Baker has to come back and kind of resurrect the, as the poster child for fixing everything. Um, but real quick, we wanted I wanted to bring up a uh, a story about one of our local guys here, George Springer, that came up and um, out of your uh, out of the book. And how that shows how Jeff Luno kind of his uh, shady dealings, how he worked behind the shadows, and how he dealt with uh, a young George Springer trying to sign the players, kind of like he signed Jose Altuve and uh, is it is it John Singleton? Um, yep. You know, the, he he would try to lock up these players for way less than they're worth um, in the long run, hoping you know to be fiscally sound. But um, can you talk about that story about how he dealt with Springer and his so-called eye exam that he was going for? Yeah. So. Uh, in 2013, the Astros are having this awful, awful season, right? It's, it's 111 losses, third straight 100 loss season the team had, just really uh, rock bottom. And Springer is having this fantastic year between Double A AA and Triple A, almost as a 40-40 season. Easily, based on talent, should have been in the big leagues, right? Why don't they bring him up? Well, service time, they don't, they, money. They don't want to start his clock. They don't want him to get to free agency and arbitration sooner. Um, but they're just starting out on this idea of, well, let's see if we can get some of our young guys who, you know, first three years in the big leagues, you're making good money relative to most people, but it, it's not the, the seven figures, right? It's at that time, it's like 490,000 or right. so. It's your major league minimum. So let's, let's see if we can get some of these young guys to take these really buy low deals. Uh, and even if some of them go bad, and if, look, if everybody had accepted them, some of them would have gone bad. John Singleton did go bad. Um, but they don't care because if you hit on one or two or, you know, three, um, you're going to come out on top. So they bring in Springer who, you know, is a still minor leaguer. They bring him to Houston on the premise of he's getting an eye exam. What he was really doing there um, was hearing a contract offer without his agent presence. And that, that is a no, no. It is not a thing you do. You do not attempt to isolate the player uh, from his agent under the pretense of an eye exam. And, Look, you can imagine they're sitting there going, well, you know, if he takes this deal, the potential upside is great. So, you know, maybe ruffle a feather. Well, that has a cost, right? You know, when a guy becomes a free agent years later, they remember how they're treated and, and they, they talk to other players. Um, now, you can still erase some of that with money. You know, you want to throw $300 million at George Springer? I bet he would have signed, right? But it, but it was you know, a good example of the Astros trying to be – uh, several hairs too smart and not caring about the impact it had on other people and their industry perception and, and what the ripple effects from there would be. Wow. I mean, and, and it's almost insulting, though. I mean, I don't know how bright or not bright George Springer is, but I mean, to think he would even possibly fall for that is just such garbage. He's a very smart guy, and he, by the way, is the son of a lawyer. So, and he's a UConn grad. He yeah, I mean, come on, he's not going to fall for that. Hey, Evan, listen, we wish you the best. The book is "Winning Fixes Everything: How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess." And you know, it's a great sort of if you love sports and the little you know Palace Coup stuff, it's fascinating stuff. And and maybe we'll get a chance to talk to you again down the road. Yeah, guys, anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, Evan Drellich, you've been listening to episode 104 of Fanbase: A Deep Dive into the Greatest Rivalry in Sports.
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.